message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. church and what a strange St. Patrick's Day morning it is you know if a necessity is a mother of invention then it's likely that uh, now because of a nation in lockdown uh, coronavirus is finally going to drag some of us into the video age which is a real shame if you have a face for radio but however uh, because of the date it was on my mind to share uh, something about St. Patrick and also as we prepare to pray this morning to share some thoughts really about the situation that now appears to be set to disrupt our lives to a degree that our generation has not known before. Now I think it's worth saying that in fact previous generations have known greater disruptions than this. Uh, whatever happens to us over the next five or six weeks or five or six months, that's still not going to be what a previous generation had to endure for five or six years through a world war. Now, having said that, that's of little comfort if you feel genuinely overwhelmed and fearful about yourself or your family's future. There seems to be one question that's dominating our minds at such a time as this, and that question is, what should I be doing? What should I be doing? Well, that's a reasonable question. The problem is that right now, Every day we're being inundated with a flood of reasonable answers. Uh, there appears to be so much that we could be doing or should be doing. And that official list appears to be both changing and growing almost on a daily basis. So you'll be glad to hear that this morning I have no intention of adding to that list. Over the next few minutes I am not going to tell you one thing that you should be doing. Uh, I simply want to draw your attention to a different question. Not what should I be doing, but a deeper question. One that is in fact already driving everything that you're doing, directing everything that you're doing, controlling everything that you're doing. And that question is this, what am I believing? Now I know that in the midst of a crisis, we're so busy thinking, what should I be doing? That the question, what am I believing? just doesn't seem as relevant, doesn't seem as urgent. But it strikes me that perhaps a crisis is exactly the right time to recognize that what we are believing is at the root of every decision and every action we have been taking and will be taking in the coming weeks. If you're not sure about what you're believing, just look at the decisions you've been taking, things you've been doing. In them will be revealed exactly what you believe about yourself, about the people around you, about the world you live in. Now, just because we may not have given much thought to what we believe doesn't mean that our loved ones aren't being impacted every day by exactly what we believe. They say a fish doesn't know what water is, yet water defines the boundaries of its world. A fish cannot live beyond the boundaries of water. Now, what we believe in our hearts about ourselves other people, this world, it defines the borders of our lives. We literally cannot live beyond the borders of what we have believed. 
Now, a young man may achieve many academic qualifications and yet all his life live believing himself to be stupid because his mother always called him stupid and he believed her. In the same way, the world may describe a certain woman as beautiful and yet she may live all her life believing herself to be ugly because her father always called her ugly and she believed him. You see, that's why in Proverbs 4.23, it says in effect, above all things, pay attention to what you're believing, because what you're believing sets the borders beyond which you cannot live. Now notice that verse doesn't say, pay attention to what you're doing, because despite what the world and the religion of this world has always told you, what you're doing cannot change who you are, because the river is flowing in the other direction. It is from who you are, from what you are believing, that all your life of doing flows. Whether you know it or not, what you are believing is your life. What you are believing is who you are. You know, this crisis will pass, and all the many things that you're doing and will do over the next few weeks and months may well change your circumstances, even determine your health and your wealth. Because of what you're doing, your life may look very different a year from now. But if what you have believed has not changed, then in truth your life has not changed. For you may be living in a bigger house, but you're still imprisoned in a life bordered by your fears, especially the ultimate fear in life, the fear of death. You can become the richest or the most healthy person in the world, but still be living as a slave if fear lies at the root of all you believe and commands all your decisions. It will leave you leading a small life in a big house. It's much better to end up leading a big life in a small house. Everywhere, everyone is looking for freedom. Freedom from sickness, from poverty, freedom from loneliness, freedom from fear. Now the Bible tells us a remarkable truth about the reason Jesus died on the cross. Hebrews 2.15 declares that he did it to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You see, while this world and the religion of this world wants to talk to you the whole time about what you're doing, your Father in heaven, the one who knows you better than you know yourself, has always known that the answer to your fears would never be found in doing better or doing more. That's because he knows that the things we are doing are only the branches of a tree whose root is what we are believing. You can tell people all their lives to change what they're doing, but even if they somehow managed to do everything you told them to do, you would never have changed them because all you did was trim the branches. You never dealt with the root of their lives, the source of all they're doing, their fears. That's why every time people came to Jesus and asked him, what should we be doing? In order to do what God wants us to do, his reply was, what God wants you to do is believe in the one he has sent. Jesus knew that if you want to change lives, you don't take an axe to the branches, you take an axe to the root. You don't tell people what to do, you deal with the fear in them that is the source of all they do. God knows that the answer to the fear in the heart of men is not a list of commands. His commands were not given so that we could become like him by obeying him, but so that we could discover what a rich young ruler who once fell at Jesus' feet discovered, that all the doing in the world can't change your heart. To those who pretended it could, 
Jesus said, you're only cleaning the outside of the cup while the inside remains untouched. You see, religion is all about the outer appearance, but it will leave the heart unchanged. That's why Jesus, his favorite word to describe the religious was hypocrite. So how do you change the heart of a person if it's not by doing more? You have to understand that you cannot remove darkness by doing more or by doing better in the darkness. I'll say that again. You cannot remove darkness by doing more or doing better in the darkness. Blood, sweat and tears cannot remove darkness. There's only one thing that removes darkness and that is light because darkness is an absence, the absence of light. The fear in the hearts of men that ensnares them, enslaves them, that produces so much doing with so little change is a darkness that exists because of an absence. The absence of a light, a light that men were made for. And that light is a love so powerful that as it grows, it literally drives out every trace of darkness. The Apostle John said it this way, perfect love casts out fear. Now that word translated perfect actually means fully grown or mature. That love is not an idea. It's not a philosophy. It is the very person of God himself, his spirit living in us. And this light, this love of God, the love of our Heavenly Father, which is his very nature, changing our believing. You may say, now that's an extraordinary thing to believe. And you're absolutely right. The gospel is the most extraordinary thing it is possible for a man or woman to believe because we were made, we were created for extraordinary lives. And the most extraordinary life to live is that of believing that God is your father. Now to grow in that life, to be persuaded in your heart, in your believing that God so loves you that in giving you Christ, he has not withheld anything of himself from you, even his own spirit. To find that truth growing in your heart is to find a light growing in your heart, a love that is casting out fear and so is casting down all the borders that imprisoned you in a small life, a life where you allowed people to define you by your doing rather than God's doing. For what all those commands were parties to do, God himself did. In Christ, he declared you to be his children. Now, notice that I still haven't told you one thing to do. Because being told all your life what you should do for God has only ever done one thing. It has left you believing in yourself and so has left you unchanged. You see, any religion that keeps telling you what to do keeps pointing you to yourself, keeps directing you into the dark, which is why you never seem to get anywhere because all you can do in the dark is to go around in circles. The gospel is not good advice. It is good news. It is not about what you need to do. It is about what God has done. And when it is proclaimed in that way as good news, not good advice, it has the power to change the root of men's lives, what they are believing. And it is only from that metanoia, that repentance, that change of belief, that new light, that new life flows the doing that we always wanted to do, but never had the love in our hearts to do like forgive our enemies. How can I describe the persuasion of the heart of the love of God by the love of God? You know, it is like growing freedom from fear, a growing freedom 
from fear. It's like emerging from a confined place into a wide open space because the beliefs and the fears that hemmed you in into a small <clears throat> self-centered life have now been taken down. What lies before you now is liberty, liberty from yourself and so your self-ish life. Over the next few weeks or months, multitudes of people in this nation and many others are going to find themselves physically confined, living in a smaller life. But you know, often in such times, in such places, it is there that people glimpse for the first time what real freedom is. It is to be free from fear. It is to find in yourself a light in which that darkness cannot stand, the light of God's love, a love that is incapable of standing back from you but must come in person because he is the light, the love, the life you were made for. There's a story told in the book of Acts of a group of prisoners finding such a light of all places in a lockdown. Paul and Silas were arrested in a city called Philippi. They were beaten viciously with rods and then they were taken and they were chained up in the smallest, darkest dungeon in the local prison. The Bible says that it was there at about midnight that these two men were singing hymns of praise to God and all the other prisoners were listening to them and wondering at how two men who were so confined could live so free. Suddenly, it seemed that even creation itself had been wakened by their song, and it let out such a mighty groan for such freedom that the jail was shaken by an earthquake, and all the doors flew open, and all the chains fell off all the prisoners. And then the greatest miracle of all happened. Not one of those prisoners made a break for freedom because they knew in their heart of hearts that no matter where in the world they ran to, they would never find a freedom like the one they had witnessed in that jail in the lives of those two men chained to a wall. You know, it's such a sad thing that over the centuries, the mighty gospel of God's grace has been so watered down with religion that today most Irish people, both North and South, both Protestant and Catholic, see God more as a jailer than as a liberator, more as the one who is set on restraining them into a small religious life than the one who came to set them free to live the freest life it is possible to live, free from being enslaved by the fear of death. Today is the 17th of March, the day our nation chose to celebrate St. Patrick. Patrick knew all about being a slave, about being confined into a small life, but it was in that confinement that he found the grace of God. He came to see what God had done for him and for all men. Now, in his own words, Patrick described seeing himself as helpless to do anything for himself. Uh, he described actually in his own words, seeing himself as a stone sitting in the mud, but then he saw what God had done, that through Christ it was as if God had lifted him out of the mud and placed him at the very top of the wall. And all he wanted to do forever was to shout out from that place, the highest of heights, of his unending gratitude to God for doing for him what he could never do for himself, lifting him into the very life of God, the freest life there is. Now notice what Patrick did not say. He did not say that he had lifted himself out of the mud. Despite what religion may have told you all your life, 
The gospel is not that you need to clean yourself up or lift yourself up. Because the gospel is not good advice. It is the good news that when you were as powerless as a stone in the mud, God came in Christ and lifted you up into himself, far above sin and death and fear. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote, Set your eyes on things above, not earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You know, I believe there is a memory in the soul of this nation that Patrick must have done something to set us free from fear. For generations, St. Patrick's Day was the traditional date to turn out the cattle who had been confined all winter. Now, if you've seen how cattle jump and leap for joy when they get out into the open fields, you will know that that was such a fitting tribute to the one who first brought the news that set men free from their fear of death. Without the knowledge of that light that dispels the darkness of fear, men are left trying to drown their fears. And in this nation, we have attempted that again and again with two things, religion and drink, both of which have only left us in the dark, more fearful than ever. You know, for generations in Ireland, potching made in lead stills could prove lethal, for no one knew that alcohol absorbs lead. Lead poisoning could leave you blind and then comatose. And someone in such a coma could be mistaken for dead and buried alive. And there was such a fear in this country of that, that a tradition grew that before burying a person, cries and laments should be made long enough and loud enough to wake the dead. And if they don't wake by the third day, then you can bury them. Now, for generations in this nation, we have drunk so deeply of a gospel mixed with religion, with self-effort, that it has left us blind and dull to the reality of what Christ did in that cross. But 1,500 years ago, Patrick introduced us to a song that is powerful enough to wake the dead. It is the song of heaven, the song of eternal life, the song of a father who so loved his lost children that he entered into the very depths of their loneliness, the depths of their fear, even their death, and set his life, his light, right there in the mud, in the darkness. Now to all who will hear this song, they can open their eyes to a new life, a life lifted, lifted from the mud of separation and up into the union of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, and can live as Patrick described himself, so binded to the Trinity that men who saw him and heard him saw Christ as Patrick prayed they would when he prayed for Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Now, if you're looking for something to pray about on this St. Patrick's Day, I'm still not going to give you one thing to do. But I will tell you what I will be praying. I'll be praying at this song of victory, this song that wakes the dead, this eternal song that Paul and Silas sang from that dungeon, this song that raises to life, to union with God, those dead in separation from his spirit, this song that sets the captives free from fear, this song that still opens the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf and the hearts of the proud to believe extraordinary things and so live the most extraordinary lives, I pray that this song, what the Apostle Paul called the gospel of God's grace, is once again proclaimed over a nation that lies in darkness and fear, so it will once again have the same effect on this nation as that fire that Patrick lit on the hill of Slain. It will lead a people out 
of the darkness of lives enslaved to fear and into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Father, I thank you that the lives of every person who listens to this message is so precious. I pray that they will catch a glimpse of their infinite value to you, a value that has never been defined by what they did or didn't do, but by your purpose and grace given to them in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Lord, you came for one reason, to reveal the Father as he really is and to set the light of that truth into the darkness of men's hearts. I pray for a great metanoia, a great repentance to come upon the church in Ireland, that we will no longer live like another earthly organization giving people good advice on what they should do, but that we would humble ourselves and admit the truth, that we did not lift ourselves out of the mud. That was all you're doing, for you did what a people who looked to themselves for life could not do, but who looked to you. You lifted us. You wanted a people who would not look to themselves, but a people who would look to you. Now let this heavenly song of what Christ has done for all men be proclaimed by a people who know the joy that only comes when you know that you have been penned up for years. The joy of being set free from self-effort. The joy of no longer living like an orphan, but as a child of God. We ask this in the mighty name of the liberator of our nation and every nation, Jesus Christ. By the power of his Holy Spirit today, we can say, Amen. Let it be so. God bless you in your glorious heavenly freedom, right in the midst of your earthly confinement.